man. Can I just say, I am in a connect group as well. John and Emma Day's connect group. Emma, you're there. Love, love being in the connect group. Absolutely, you know, if you want to get involved in the life of church and you've got to realise that church isn't just a Sunday. It's about doing life with people, supporting each other, praying with one another, worshipping one another, studying the word together. So we do want to be able to help you connect because I recognise it's not that easy. We do have leaflets uh, in the atrium. You can uh, pick some of those up and give it a go. Like you don't need to go, you, don't, you can try, you can try. They won't be offended if you don't come back. It's okay. You're not going to hurt anyone's feelings. But, you know, do a bit of a roadshow and give it a go and find one. And if you have been in this church for a while and you have been unable to find a connect group, what about if you start your own? Oh, that's an interesting idea. Now, we are in a few weeks going to have a Connect Group Sunday where we're going to dive into this a little bit more. But, um, you know, I just want to encourage you to say we need to be able to do life with one another during the week. That is what church is. Okay, <clears throat> talking about what church is, um, I was so sad to have missed last week. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't. I had the privilege, Steph and I, I have, was officiating over... Oh, Nikki, you're there as well next to Emma. Nikki and Tim's wedding last week uh, in Somerset. And we had an amazing time because we're part of the same connect group. So we do life together. So we were all down there and we had an amazing time. But I did miss the all-age service, which, of course, I was able to catch up online. And boy, you guys had an amazing time. Who was here? Wow, yeah. I mean, you guys rocked. I mean, just seeing all ages worshipping God together was just so powerful and seeing, not just that, but seeing how the, the, the kids and the youth, if you don't mind me saying, modeling to you adults what it means to worship. You know, being free in worship. You can't be free in worship. It's all right, you know. You don't have to do this when you sing. It was just so powerful. And them anointing the adults. I've got to say, you know, we're going to do a few more of those each year because I think that's important. We are, we are not a segregated church family. We are a church family. That means something to us. And uh, I wanted to say thank you to Edward and Mana and Paul and Eduardo and Tiago, staff members, and all the rest of the amazing leaders that we have, volunteers, for putting that together because that was no mean feat. So we just want to say thank you. Uh, I want to say thank you for that. What else do I want to say? Um, we're in the prayer series. Um, and we are also at Pentecost Sunday. So what I thought would do... Initially, I was going to um, do How to Pray Part 2. I did that a couple of weeks ago. But I'm going to push Part 2 out to another week. <clears throat> and we're going to look at the prayer of Pentecost. The prayer of Pentecost. Because there are some things that we can learn about the early church and how they prayed and how we can apply that to our lives. So we're going to look at that. Uh, what I'd like to do first is... Um, let's see if I, can, if I put this like this. Can I put my drink like that? Oh, Hello. There we go. You're, all, you're watching this now, not me, aren't you? All right. We're going <laughs> to turn together to Acts 2, 1 to 21. And I want to read this together. Uh, and then we're going to, what I want to do before we look at prayer, I want to share some observations that I think are important to us as we look at Pentecost. So it's Acts 2, <clears throat> verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Can you imagine? And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygra and Paphelia, Egypt and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? I reckon we'd say the same thing, wouldn't you? Can you imagine? What on earth is going on here? But others were mocking equally, and they said they are filled with new wine. In other words, they are drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is the third hour of the day, that's 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and he quotes Joel in the Old Testament. This is what was said. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in these days, in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I shall, I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. What an event. What an amazing event that came on Pentecost Sunday. So let's look at some observations about this. The first thing I think it's worth saying, and and I just want to correct our thinking on this, because Pentecost wasn't invented on that day. What you see was happening where the Jews were together, and the reason there were people from every other place was they were joining together to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, a Jewish feast. You see, you had the spring feast that the Jews would celebrate. You had Passover. And guess what happened? On the very day of Passover, Jesus was the Passover lamb. He fulfilled the feast. Then you had the feast, these are the spring feasts, of unleavened bread. What is unleavened bread? Unleavened means it doesn't have yeast in it. And yeast in the Bible oftentimes represents sin. And so unleavened bread... Jesus was on the grave the exact time that they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Did you know that? Why? Because Jesus was sinless and death could not hold him. The next one is first fruits. They celebrated the first fruits, the first resurrection. And guess what happened? 
Jesus rose from the dead exactly on the Feast of First Fruits. Did you know that? Why? Because all of the Jewish feasts were pointing to the fulfillment in Jesus. How cool is that? Anyone else excited? I mean, you know, there is a, there is a I mean, this book, this Bible, this story, this, this word of God is more integrated than, you will ever, than we will ever know this side of glory. Like, God was prophesying, hey, this is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come. He's going to be your Passover lamb. Did you know that before they had the Passover lamb, they would have to spend, I believe it was three or four days, making sure it was spotless. Jesus spent the same number of days before he was on the cross when they interrogated him. Why? Because they demonstrate that he was spotless. I mean, come on. That's amazing. So we get to Pentecost. Now, Pente is 50 in Greek, and it was the Feast of Weeks. It would be celebrated 50 days after um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what they would celebrate, and what has come in tradition with the Jews, is that Feast of Weeks was when Moses gave the law from Mount Sinai. Well, what do we see just happen here? The age of grace on Pentecost came. You see, what you see this event did was mark the next, what we call a dispensation, which is a time period. This is the, we're in the sixth dispensation called the age of grace or the church age. The next one, the final one is the seventh, is the kingdom age when Jesus will come again and establish his kingdom. So what I find amazing about Peter quoting Joel, is that within Joel, what I just read, it talks about that dispensation, the start of it and the end of it. How is that, Mark? I'm glad you asked me. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, if you go down to verse 19, this is what happens. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, a great and magnificent day. What are we talking about here? The start of the age of grace when the Holy Spirit comes and the church is birthed and the end of the age when Jesus comes again. So in that very moment, what Peter is declaring is, hey, no longer the age of the Lord, but it is the age of grace. It is the age of of grace. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross and he fulfilled the law for us. It is not that the law is unimportant. It's that Jesus fulfilled it on our behalf. Do we understand that? And so one of my first observations is about how amazing God is, is that Jesus fulfilled the the feast of Pentecost and there was a shift in dispensation from the age of law to the age of of grace, and we are in that place. And that leads me to the second observation, which of course you know this, but you see the Holy Spirit birthed the church. If you wanna see where church day one is, here it is. Now, why is that the case? Well, of course, we're gonna read in a moment that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. He said, don't leave Jerusalem Don't fulfill the Great Commission. Don't do all that I've commanded you to do until the Holy Spirit comes. Why is that the case? Anybody got any guesses? You can shout out if you wish. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? 
Is that helper? Any other things? Sorry? Power. Thank you for that. Yes, exactly. He empowers us. We cannot do what God is calling us to do unless we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. You take a bunch of ragamuffin disciples, and I say that with respect, and the Holy Spirit turns them into apostles. Only the Holy Spirit can... Listen, Peter, only a short while before this, of course, was like denying Jesus. How do you take someone like a Peter and empower them to spread the gospel? How do you take a Paul? How do you take these guys because of the Holy Spirit? Unless you think that it stopped with the apostles, I've got some good news for you, it does not. The Holy Spirit is here today to empower us to fulfill the great call and great commission on our lives. I mean, that's good news, right? You can clap. Thank you for the applause. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's read 1 Corinthians 2, 4 to 11. This is where Paul, when writing to the church in Corinth, talks about spiritual gifts. And I'm sure you've heard this a few times, but let me just read this to recap our memories. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them, empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to the other the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between Spirit, a Spirit of discernment, to another various kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. There's two types of tongues here, by the way. There's tongues where you speak the language of someone else, which we saw when I read uh, that happened on Pentecost. And there's tongues in an angelic, heavenly language. All those are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. So what we see here, guys, is that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to give us a toolbox of gifts to extend God's kingdom here to fulfill our great commi- uh, the Great Commission. And that is what happened on Pentecost Sunday. But we cannot just look at that and think, that was an amazing event. Because while it was, it was also demonstrating to us the model of how we need to live our lives and how we need to do church. And I'm going to put my hand up, confession time, and say, I'm sorry, Lord. Because how many times do I run on my own strength and I don't pray and seek your Holy Spirit to empower me? I'm sure you're not like me. (laughs) But that's what I do. And so when we're at Pentecost Sunday, why don't we take as a little bit of a reminder to say, listen, this is the same promise for you. Now with that, I want to segue into the element of prayer because let me ask you a question. What preceded the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost? Anybody? Prayer, exactly. Prayer. You know, I would say, if you look throughout church history, all the great things were always preceded by prayer. The greatest revivals, they're all great, 
were preceded by prayer. Prayer is the boiler room of church. It is that place in our lives that we pray that we are able to move out of. If you take the place of prayer outside outside of your life, you take the place of power outside of your life. Prayer and power of the Holy Spirit are linked. So with that, let's look at Acts 1. I realize I'm I'm jumping around a little bit, but follow me. Acts 1, let's look at uh, 14. This is, excuse me, Jesus' own words. No, I'm going to just touch on verse 4. You heard from me, and then it says, uh, yeah, verse 4. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, which was, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And so fast forward then to verse 14. It says this. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Okay, what can we learn from this church? I want to give us four hallmarks of the prayer of Pentecost, which is valid for us today. Four hallmarks. Number one, together. They were together. I want to remind us that prayer is not just an individual activity. You know, I I do speak to some people and it goes a little bit like this. Well, I can't pray with other people because my my, my faith is a private thing. That's a bit of an oxymoron. You know, it says in James that evidence of your faith is works. Your faith in Jesus Christ bears fruit for others. We read in uh, 1 Corinthians about the spiritual gifts that they were for the common good of others. That is what our faith is as we walk in that. And so I want to just challenge you, if maybe you've been like thinking that through, that your prayer life is a personal, private thing because my faith is, I've got to say, with the love of a pastor, you are incorrect. You are incorrect. There is a place for corporate prayer. It is so important. When two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. Amen. Amen. You know, Acts 12, 5, we read an occasion where where Peter was in prison. And what happens? It says this. So Peter was kept in prison, but listen to this. Earnest prayer for him was made by God, by the church, by the body of believers. And I would say one of the biggest challenges we have here as a church, you know, like any church, by the way, FYI, no church is perfect. If you're looking for a perfect church, I apologize, you won't find one because we're all made of broken people, all on a journey with the Lord. But one of the challenges is is, is corporate prayer. This Tuesday, we have our monthly prayer meeting breakthrough. Once a month, we have it blended in the building and online. And then in between, we have a weekly prayer meeting. If you're feeling stirred about this, can I invite you to come along on Tuesday evening at 8 p.m.? We can have some worship and a time of corporate prayer. The enemy knows how important prayer is and he will always attack corporate prayer. So you don't even have to wait for an event. I mean, we we continue to pray for Ukraine on Fridays. You can join that. But why don't you just pick the phone up and two people and say, listen, let's get together this week and pray. You don't need to wait for the church to organize it, by the way. You are the church, so you organize it. That's the first hallmark I want to look at. Number two, 
It said this, one accord. I cannot preach on the Holy Spirit and prayer without talking about unity. You know, it is a Greek word, homothamabdon. And if you're Greek, I apologize. I'm actually half Greek, but I can't speak Greek. Disappointing. (laughs) Did you know that of the 12 uses we find in the New Testament, 10 of them occur in the book of Acts? And it's always, and they did this in one accord. There is a blessing that comes with unity. And I tell you, one is corporate prayer that the enemy will attack. And number two is unity. Oh, what was one of the hallmarks of the early church was one accord. Now, what does one accord mean? Well, it's made up of two words, rush along and in unison. Did you know that? Rush along and in unison. So it denotes a movement of people in a set and agreed upon direction and in so doing it, doing it in unison. Unity means a recognition that we're going on a path that God has mapped out a mission and a vision for us and we are rushing along together and we're doing it in unison. That is what unity means. It doesn't mean, well, I'm going to go that way because this is what's right and you can go that way if you wish. That's not unity. The image is also kind of musical. You know, I grew up... um, I play keyboards. I was a worship leader before I was a preacher. And uh, I studied A-level music and I did compositions and all that kind of stuff. And I want to tell you that the most beautiful chords are made up from the very distinct and unique notes. That's unity. Unity is not the same note like being the same as everyone else. Beautiful unity comes when we are all different and come and rush along together in the same direction. That's what unity is. We, we want to be different. We celebrate our differences. We celebrate how different we are in so many different areas. Because it's in that place that there can be a beautiful harmony if we are rushing along in unison. And listen, I, I just feel led to say this, and I hope you hear my heart, but if you're coming along to church and you don't want to rush along together with us in the same direction, then you don't need to be here. What? Did he just say that? He really did. Listen. (sighs) Just wondering what I should say and shouldn't say. Go for it. Oh, thanks, Sam. I'd rather have a smaller united church than a large divided church. By the way, healthy things grow, so it will grow. But listen, you don't... Different churches for different people, different strokes for different folks. Like we're on a mission to reach the lost, to extend our reach to reach the lost. We're in a mission to make Christ known. If you can sign up for that, then you are so welcome here. And you know what? You might take some time to get to that point and we want to have, con- I want to have conversations. If there's something you don't agree with, hey, let's have a conversation. You know, it's not a case of, you know, I'm not going to listen. We want to listen. We want to have conversation, but we want to have unity. You know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.10? I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. These are instructions to the church. We can celebrate our differences in unity. We can celebrate them. And, you know, I want to say this. You know, we've got communion next week. And 
it says in the scriptures, before you have communion, if there's someone that you've got an issue with, go, go, go sort it out first. Matthew 18, you know, go and speak to them and say, you know, I really need to share my heart on this. Seek forgiveness and peace. If they don't listen, it says in Matthew 18, take someone else with you. There's a model for it in the Bible of how we can seek forgiveness and reconciliation. If you're sitting here and you've got an issue with someone, go seek out forgiveness and peace. That's the hallmark of God's church. That's the hallmark of God's church. And that is the hallmark of the prayer of Pentecost. So, you know, if you want to keep saying, and we do, come Holy Spirit, and there's division, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think the Lord can flow as he intends and as he intended? Unity is so important. It talks about in the Psalms that it is an anointing that comes down Aaron's beard. Aaron was a, is, was a priest, and it flows. We, what does oil represent? It represents the Holy Spirit, you see. And so unity comes with a blessing of his presence. And so we look at the Acts. I wish we could be like the church in Acts. I agree. I wish we could be united like the church in Acts. And I don't just mean this church, by the way. I'm talking about the church global. The schisms that have come, the dip. Anyway, I'm going to stop because I haven't got much time left. Thank you for your encouragement. Right, let's move on. Number three. You still with me? Good. Number three, devoting themselves, it says. Why? Because prayer is a way of life. Devoting themselves is a way of life. We read, in fact, what has been the anchor text from this prayer series is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 that says this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. And we unpack what that word ceasing looks like, without ceasing. And it's a military term that meant you kept going and kept approaching frequently and with perseverance until you took claim the victory. That's what this word ceasing means. It doesn't mean that you wake up and you start praying until you go to sleep. It means that you have a habit and a way of life where you devote yourselves to a rhythm of praying where you do so without ceasing, that you are frequent and persistent. And two weeks ago, we looked at how to pray and to be uh, pray without ceasing, part one. And uh, next week, we're going to look at part two on, on how we can pray without ceasing. I'm going to invite the band up as I um, bring this plane to land. Number four. I said four, didn't I? Number one, together, corporate. Number two, one accord, unity. Number three, devoting themselves, a way of life. And number four, waiting on the Lord with expectancy. You see, the waiting that we read in the New Testament, the majority of the time that word is used, it is not a passive waiting, like, you know, you're, we're going to be going on some holiday, some of us soon, you wait by the pool and you're like, oh, I really could wonder when my other partner's going to get my drink, you know. I'm daydreaming a little bit now. I've got to stop. <laughs> That's not what waiting means. Waiting is an active expectancy to pray into the promises. Why were they praying with expectancy? Because Jesus said this, Holy Spirit's coming. They're like, well, we better pray. Now, here's the challenge for all of us. What promises has Jesus given you in your life that you're not praying about because you've lost that sense of expectancy? It might be 20 years. It might be 10 years. It might be five years. It might be five months. It might be five days. What are those promises the Lord has laid on your heart, either through reading it in the scripture or someone's given you a word or God's spoken to you, that you have stopped being expectant in your waiting and you've become passive in your waiting? 
Now, I believe, I believe that the best is yet to come for us as a body of believers. We honor the past. We couldn't be here if it wasn't for the past and for our founding pastors and, and all those who have gone before us. But we've got to recognize that the best is yet to come. You know, we preached out of Isaiah 43, verse 18 at the start of the year, which is forget the former things. Do you not perceive I'm doing a new thing? It's springing it up. And I challenged us to say, what is that new thing? Are we actually looking with eyes of faith and expectancy for the new thing? Or are we living in the past? Where are you at? Are you excited about what the Lord's going to do in your individual lives and us as a church? As, we, as I mapped out our reach vision, as we create spaces and places for people to encounter Jesus, does that excite you? Are you praying about that? Do you want to be caught up in that? I certainly do. I want my life to matter. I want to leave a legacy. I want to spend myself for Jesus. You know, why do you think we're here? You know, we're, we're the created. He's the creator. We're here to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The place of freedom is the place of surrender, where you surrender on the altar your stuff, your important things, the things that define all of that stuff, lay it on the altar. Lay up all the agendas. Thank you, brother. Lay up all those things and say, Lord, I just surrender it to you. Not my will, but yours. That is exactly what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that is a model for us. You see, Pentecost is a reminder that we are called for something greater than ourselves. And it requires death in us in order to have new life from us. It requires death in us of self in order to have new life from us. But the good news is we don't do it alone. We do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And with that, can we all stand as I invite the Holy Spirit to come?